I'd like to do a little bit of bragging today in my sermon. You know, we brag about all sorts of things. We brag about our importance and our talents. Maybe we don't do that overtly, but sometimes we will do so subtly. You know, we'll slip in a little humble brag about our goodness. We definitely brag about our team and our stuff. And we do a lot of bragging about our kids. I heard a story about three older ladies who were around the card table and they were bragging about their sons. And the first one said, My Freddie, everyone should be so lucky to have a son like my Freddie. Once a week, he brings me a huge bouquet of flowers. He's constantly taking me out to eat. And if I so much as hint that I need something or I want something, it's on my doorstep the next morning. That's very nice about your Freddie, says the next lady, but with all due respect, when I think about the way my Sam takes care of me, it just can't compare. Every morning as soon as I wake up, he greets me with bacon and freshly brewed coffee. Every lunch, he comes over and cooks me a gourmet lunch, and he brings me to his house every evening for supper. He treats me like a queen. Well, the final lady said, well, I don't want to make either of you feel bad. But wait until you hear about my John. Twice a week, he pays someone $200 an hour just so he can lie on their couch and talk to them. And do you want to know the only person he talks to when he gets there or that he talks about when he gets there? It's me. The only person that he talks about is me. I'm not here today to brag about my children. I'm certainly not here today to brag about myself. I'd like to brag about Jesus today. You know, I think that's my job. If you were to sum up what it is that I do, I think you could say that I am a full-time bragger on Jesus. That's, not a, that's kind of a clunky way to say that. But, you know, as a, a preacher, as a minister of the gospel, it is my job in everything that I do, everywhere I go, to brag about Jesus Christ. I think about what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 31. Let anyone who boasts, boast in who? Boast in the Lord. And you know, that's not just my job. That is your job. If you're a Christian, if you're a baptized believer, you are to be going about bragging about, not about you, but about your Lord, about Jesus Christ. That is your job. That's what you've been put on earth to do. Last week, we talked about the punishment that we face as sinners. We talked about the horrors that await all of humanity by default. We talked about the wrath of God that we deserve for our sin. And when you really get that, when you grasp that, and we tried very hard to drive that point home last week and to look at what the Scriptures have to say about the eternal punishment that waits unrepentant sinners, and when you get that that is what is awaiting us if we don't turn from our sin, when you get that that is what we deserve because of our sin, when you grasp it, there is no better news than what you find in 1 Thessalonians verse 9. When you understand all of that, there is no better news than what the Apostle Paul has to say to the baptized believers, to the Christians in Thessalonica when he says this, God has not destined us for wrath. There's not any better news than that. 
That's like when you get pulled over by one of our wonderful local police officers and you know you've been speeding or you know that you ran that red light or you, you, know, you took a left on red when you were supposed to stop and you know you deserve a ticket but that officer lets you go with just a warning. This is that times infinity. Or if you are on trial for a crime that you know you committed and you deserve to be punished for that crime and everybody knows it and yet the judge throws out your case and lets you go scot-free, this is that times infinity. This is one of those moments where we are awestruck, where, where our breath is taken away by the mercy of God. God has not destined us for wrath even though it is wrath that we deserve. But how does this work? Because someone's got to face God's wrath if we are to call God a just and fair God. I mean, if God is fully just, then someone's got to pay the penalty. Someone's got to answer for the sin that separates us from God. And you know that that someone is none other than Jesus Christ. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, for our sake... He made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. It was Jesus who drank the cup of God's wrath. It is Jesus who hung on our cross, who stood in our stead, who paid the penalty for our sin, so that we can be delivered from wrath, even though that is absolutely what we deserve. And so, Jesus deserves to be bragged on. Wouldn't you agree, church? If you agree that Jesus deserves to be bragged on, let me hear an amen. He deserves to be bragged on because we don't have to face the horrors of hell because He endured God's wrath for our sake. But reasons don't stop there. The reasons why Jesus deserves for us to boast in Him, they don't stop there. Maybe some of you became Christians in the first place because you wanted to avoid hell. Author Tony Campolo tells about sitting in church as a little boy while the preacher preached about hell, and he closed his sermon in this way with words like this, if you walk out those doors tonight having not obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you cross the street and you get hit by a car, you will go straight to hell. Tony says that wasn't the night that he became a Christian. It wasn't the night that he gave his life to Jesus Christ. That wasn't the message that sent him down the church aisle. But he does say that when he walked out of the building that evening, he looked both ways before he crossed that street. For some of you, that's precisely the kind of sermon that convinced you to become a Christian. You remember how you felt in that church house or under that tent when you heard the preacher preach about the horrors of hell. And you were motivated to go forward so that you could avoid that, so that you could escape that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But hopefully you've grown to realize that there are more blessings to being a Christian than just or than only escaping punishment. And some of these blessings are mentioned in our text today that was read a few moments ago from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In verse 9 we're told, on the, on the tail end of what we just heard, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord 
Jesus Christ. So there is another blessing. There is another reason why Jesus is worthy of all our boasting. We can obtain salvation through Jesus. Well, what exactly is that? What is salvation? We throw that word around a lot and and we use it sort of generically, but do we really know what that means? There's a very dramatic story that occurs in the Gospel of Luke chapter 4. This is early in Jesus' ministry. And we find him around verse 16, going back to his hometown, the town where he grew up, Nazareth. And as was his custom, on the Sabbath day, on Saturday, the last day of the week, he walks into the synagogue in his hometown in Nazareth, the place of Jewish learning and He sits down, and the attendant hands him a scroll to read. He stands up to read, and the scroll is of the prophet Isaiah. And he unrolls the scroll, and he goes to Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. Jesus, being very schooled in the Scriptures, not only because he's the Son of God, but because he spent many of his early years studying the Old Testament Scriptures, he turns to this particular place, In Isaiah chapter 61, and he reads these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I think I've got a slide up here with these very words that Jesus read before all those who were gathered in the synagogue that day. And then Luke tells us that as soon as he was finished reading just these two verses, he rolls up the scroll, he gives it back to the attendant, and he sits down, and all the eyes of everybody in the synagogue are trained on him. And then he says this, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, I know there's a lot going on with Jesus reading and reciting the words of the great prophet Isaiah. In this moment, Jesus is establishing himself as the great and ultimate prophet that had been foretold in the Old Testament. He's saying, I am that prophet. And of course, Jesus is also speaking to the many miracles and signs and wonders that would occur as part of his earthly ministry and that would continue through his apostles after he left the earth in the flesh. But I think also that Jesus is saying to us here, he is speaking to to the work that still goes on in our lives today. I think Jesus is telling us that he came to make rich the spiritually impoverished, the empty, the poor. Spiritually speaking, we are We are poor, and Jesus has come to reveal to us the riches of God's glorious grace. He has come to proclaim freedom to those who are in prisons of their own making. We know people who are shackled to sin of various kinds. We ourselves often feel imprisoned by shame, by guilt, by addiction. We are imprisoned, and Jesus has come to bust us out. Jesus says, I have come to provide sight to those who are blind to God's will. We stumble about about as in darkness, not knowing 
how to live this life not knowing which way to go. And Jesus has come to give us spiritual sight, spiritual vision. He has come to declare this the age of God's favor. This is the age of God's glorious grace through Christ. This is the era of human history when you can have a relationship through His Son, Jesus Christ. And that is salvation. All of that and more. And so salvation is not just a word that points to the future. It's a word we experience in the present. It's not just a word for then. It's a word for now. We experience salvation now. Jesus sets us free now. He gives us sight now. He proclaims the age of God's favor now. We can obtain salvation through Jesus. But that's not all. We are also told in this text that we can live with Jesus in this life. In verse 10 of chapter 5, Paul says, those of us who are awake, meaning still alive in the flesh, we can live with Jesus. Jesus is present with us. We all know deeply that we do not have the resources that we need to deal with life and all that life throws at us. We all have this deep-seated sense that we do not have the necessary tools, that we cannot muster up enough strength from ourselves to handle all that life throws our way. We all know this, that we need extra help, extra strength. And we're absolutely right. We, we need divine help. Everyone all over the all over this globe, senses this. And the, the good news that we want to proclaim in Jesus is that we've, in Jesus, we've got it. We've got the help that we need to get through this life. Paul talks in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, how Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. He's talking to baptized believers. And again, all of the promises that we're talking about, I want to remind you, they are not afforded to you if you are not in Christ. If you have not been buried with Him in baptism, if you have not had your sins washed away and received the gift of the Spirit, all of this good stuff that is on the banquet table for Christians to enjoy, you cannot yet enjoy because you are not in Christ. I want to encourage you to get in Christ, to be obedient to the Gospel so these blessings can be yours. Jesus, or Paul reminds us here that in Jesus, He is present with us. He is abiding with us. He is in our hearts. So when we sing that beautiful old song, I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. We can know that we have what we need in Jesus. That He is with us. His presence goes with us throughout our lives. And we can have assurance for the last day, for the judgment day. Because of Jesus. Paul in second or in First Thessalonians in our text, verse 10, we can live with Jesus whether we are awake or asleep. If we are in Christ, if we are faithful followers of Christ, we don't have to worry about what's coming on the other side. We don't have to worry about the judgment day. In fact, it is a day that we can actually look forward to 
Because of Christ, not because of our own goodness, but because Christ is in us. The Old Testament tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that God has put eternity into man's heart. We long to live forever. We know that we are meant to live forever. And the good news of the gospel is we can in Jesus. We can. And we will. We can withstand the judgment of God on that great and terrible day. In fact, we can long for that day with anticipation. And this really is the bigger point of this whole passage in which we find our text this morning. Back in chapter 4, Paul is telling this group of first century believers, you do not have to worry about the coming day of the Lord. Why were they worried? Why were they worried about dying? Maybe they didn't feel quite confident in their faith in Christ. Maybe the church had faced some untimely deaths or uh, several Christians had died and it just got them feeling anxious. Well, Christ says, uh, or Paul rather says, let me tell you exactly what's going to happen. The Lord will descend the sound of, to the sound of the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise in verse 17 of chapter 4. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. That is what is going to go down on the last day. And if you're in Christ, that is the future that awaits you. And you can be excited about it and you can look forward to it and you don't have to dread it. Through Christ, you don't have to be terrified of the great day of judgment. And on into chapter 5, he says, You are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. If you're in darkness, if you are not in Christ, that day will shock you. It will surprise you. It'll be a terrible and awful day. But if you are in Christ, you don't have to dread that day. You're not in darkness. That day won't surprise you. You'll be ready for it. You can be excited about it. You can long for it with anticipation. You know, when we understand what God has done for us, through Jesus, and these are just a few of the many blessings that we could share, the many reasons Jesus is worth bragging about. When we understand all of this, our lives should exude joy and wonder and delight. You should have a hard time wiping the smile off our faces because of our Lord and what God has done for us through Him. And yet, I look out and it looks like a lot of you took a bath in vinegar this morning and you had a lemon for breakfast. And I know life sometimes gets difficult and the going gets rough. But every once in a while, at the very least, this abiding joy that is in our hearts through Christ, it should make its way and, ex and express itself on our faces and in how we live. We are so blessed by God through Jesus. He has been so good to us and so generous with us in ways that we do not deserve, and that is an understatement. We don't even come close to deserving all that God has done for us through Jesus. I mean, we should just be so eager to boast and to brag on Jesus all the time. I read this from someone recently. Here are my list of reasons why I'm a Christian. Number one, Jesus. 
Number two, Jesus. Number three, Jesus. Number four, Jesus. Number five, Jesus. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. He is all my reasons. He is my million reasons. Therefore, life should be characterized by great joy because of Christ. And we should more freely brag on Jesus to others. And isn't that basically what outreach is? You know, this is 2020 and our theme for the year is outreach. And we want to grow and we want, to, we want many to be added to the church. Uh, and we want to make new disciples in our community. And at the heart of it, at the core of, that, of it, isn't that what evangelism is? It's just bragging on Jesus. It's telling others how good Jesus has been to us and how good He can be to them too. We want to spend the year boasting about Jesus because He is worthy of all our boasts. We started two weeks ago by talking about the mission of God. What is God's mission? What is He up to in the world? Well, He wants to rescue us. We talked about that two weeks ago. He wants to rescue us. Last week we talked about from the consequences of sin, which are devastating, which are horrible. We talked about hell, that place of eternal punishment for those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. God wants to rescue us from that, and He accomplishes this through His Son. But let me tell you, once again, Jesus didn't just come so that you can escape hell. He also came so that you can enjoy life. And I'm using that word life in the biblical sense as Jesus used it in John chapter 10, verse 10, when He said, I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus didn't just come so you could avoid hell at the end of time, but so you could enjoy abundant life. Experiencing salvation and all that that entails experiencing the presence of the Lord in your daily life, and experiencing full assurance and confidence on the day of judgment. This is the purpose of Christ. And it's worth bragging about. So if you're going to brag, if you're going to boast, make it about Jesus. Make it about your Lord. He is worthy of all our boasting and all our bragging. Let that characterize your life. When you're gone, let them say, your family and your friends and your loved ones, let them say he or she could never stop talking about Jesus. The name of Jesus was always on their lips. They delighted to brag about how good God had been to, to them through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's our job. That's what we are to be about every moment of every day in our actions and in our words, bragging about our Lord. I want you to be in Christ. I want us all to be in Christ. I want God to rescue everyone in this room so that we can escape the fires and the torment of hell, and so that we can enjoy the abundant life and the eternal life that God wants to give to each and every one of us. I don't want one single person within these walls and, of course, beyond, but as I look into the faces of each of you, I don't want anybody in here 
to be eternally lost. I want everyone to be saved. And there's someone who wants that infinitely more than, than I want that. Infinitely more than our elders or our deacons or your parents or grandparents or relatives or other Christian brothers and sisters. You know who wants that more than anyone else? Is God. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to be in His presence forevermore. He wants you to be in Christ, abiding in Christ, so that you can enjoy life for all eternity. If you're not in Christ, if you haven't repented of your sins, if you haven't confessed His beautiful name, if you haven't been baptized and come up out of that water having your sins washed away and being totally regenerated and renovated, made a new creature, then you're not in Christ. Why don't you come and get in Christ today? Or if you're struggling in any way and we can pray for you, let us do that. Or maybe you need to see a couple of our elders across the hall after our assembly is over today and talk with them and pray with them. Don't leave this building today with something that's unaddressed, something that's nagging at you, some spiritual problem or issue that you're having. Let God handle it today. Lay it at His feet. And just watch what happens in your life. If there are any needs today, why don't you come and make them known as we stand and sing together.